Hi, I'm Steph. I'm Kim. And, and this, this is Solve, Unsolved or Spooky. Hi, everybody. I'm not sure how many people are there listening today, but I'm so grateful to everybody who downloaded our podcast last week. Thank you so much. It's still early in the week and we've had 85 downloads already, so let's keep this growing. So anyway, we took our puppies to the dog wash today. And we got absolutely soaked. And Luna, my marama, <laughs> refused to get into the tub, so some lady had to, like, push on her butt to help me get her in. And Hunter, our little Kelpie, he was not thrilled at any of the process. And for some reason, Dexter, our Anatolian shepherd who hates water, was the one who actually really loved his bath. It was really random. Dexter is actually named after the serial killer Dexter, and he's just as cute. So anyway, what case are you covering today? I'll be covering a story from the black country in England where I was born. The story of Rose and Fred West. Today is going to be part one of a two-part series. We are going to do it over a two-week period because it is a very heavy case and it will be quite long. I will give you a trigger warning though. Today's episode contains explicit content and descriptions that people may find upsetting. If you're uncomfortable listening to these subjects, please tune out for today's story and we'll see you back next week. Listener's discretion is recommended and if this does bring up painful or damaging thoughts, please reach out to one of the many resources that are available. We have links available in the show notes. Here we go. On the 29th of September 1941, Frederick Walter Stephen West was born at Bickerton Cottage, Much Markle, Herefordshire. He was the first surviving child born to Stephen West and Daisy Hill. Surviving? Yeah, all the other children had died up to that point. Hmm. Family were poor farm workers, close-knit and mutually protective. His father was a disciplinarian and his mother is said to be overprotective. In 1946, the family moved to Moorcroft Cottage or Farm, where Fred's father worked. The cottage had no electricity and was heated by a log fireplace. Sounds quaint. Oh, okay. By 1951, Fred's mother had given birth to eight children, with only six surviving. And Fred was always his mother's favourite. <laughs> People saw him as a mummy's boy and he relied mostly on his siblings for companionship. Children had to do chores, and they did seasonal work. The three girls picked hops and strawberries. The three boys harvested wheat and hunted rabbits. This gave Fred a strong work ethic, but he also developed a lifelong habit of petty theft. Okay, that sounds bad. Fred's classmates recall him as a scruffy, dim, lethargic, <laughs> and often in trouble. That's a beautiful way to describe someone. Pretty picture, isn't it? Mm. Fred remained barely literate, but was okay at woodwork and artwork. Same. At age 15, he left school to work as a labourer at Moorcroft Farm. Fred claimed that he was introduced to sex by his mother at the age of 12. Oh, okay. That's 
That's nice. Yep. To have engaged in acts of bestiality with animals in his early teens. What? He sounds like a pleasure. And that his belief in incest being normal stemmed from his father's incest with French sisters. Ew. Oh, my my God. What? So much for his mother being overprotective seems a little hard to swallow. Yeah. By 1957, Fred and his brother John often attended a local club where people thought his accent made him sound like a country bumpkin. A country bumpkin. (laughs) A country bumpkin. (laughs) Fred aggressively pestered women and girls, whom he objectified as sources of pleasure. He would abruptly approach and fondle them. That's a good way to get a girl, I suppose. Not. If any girl was stupid enough to accept his advances, she would find his sexual performance terribly unsatisfying. <laughs> oh, God. <laughs> As he was only interested in his own self-gratification. Oh, okay. That sounds about right. Yeah. At 17, Fred bought a motorbike and two months later suffered a fractured skull, a broken arm and a broken leg. And as I believe should happen to all active pedophiles or anyone who hurts children. He was unconscious for seven days and walked with braces for several months because of this incident. He developed an extreme fear of hospitals and became prone to fits of rage. Uh-huh. Poor baby. Now this one you'll like him. Oh, God. Two years later, he suffered another head injury <laughs> when he groped a girl on the fire escape outside the youth club and she punched him. <laughs> Sending him falling down two flights of stairs. Good on that girl. Yep. Don't Self broke defense. me. <laughs> In June 1961, Fred's 13-year-old sister Kitty told her mother that Fred had been raping her for the past six months oh, and had cool. made her pregnant. Oh, what? Pregnant? Yep. 13-year-old sister. Fred was arrested, freely admitting to police that he'd been molesting young girls since his early teens and asked, doesn't everybody do it? Ew, no, 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 they do not. I would certainly hope not. I would hope not. He was tried on the 9th of November and although disgusted by her son's actions, Daisy was prepared to testify in his defence. Oh, yay. Because she was a lowlife. I can say, defend your scumbag son. Yep. Kitty refused to testify. And the case fell over. Thankfully, much of Fred's family effectively disowned him. Oh, good. I would. Yeah. His mother banished him from the house, hopefully to protect her daughters from this monster. I would hope so. And he moved into the much Markle house with his aunt. Oh, I bet she was thrilled. Who should have shot him in the head. Unfortunately, by 1962, he had reconciled with his parents, but his relationship with most of his family remained destroyed. Mm. In 1962, Fred became reacquainted with Catherine Rena Bernadette Costello. She was an old girlfriend who had left when Fred was 21. That is um, like one real name. Mm, it's quite a name, isn't it? I was going to say, like. I think we'll call her Rena for short. Costello was pregnant by an Asian bus driver at the time of her marriage to Fred. She married Fred in Ledbury on the 17th of November, the sole guest being Fred's younger brother, John. Apple initially lived in Fred's aunt's home, then moved to Coatbridge, where Fred worked as an ice cream van driver. That were an ice cream. Hmm. In 1963, Charmaine, Rena's daughter, was born. That's a pretty name. Hmm. 
To explain the child's mixed ancestry, Rena and Fred claimed that Rena had suffered a miscarriage and that Charmaine was adopted. Shortly thereafter, the couple relocated to avoid any questions. Okay. Lie about your little child, okay? Yep. Interesting. In July 1964, Rena bore Fred a daughter, Anna Marie. The child was born at the couple's new home in Savoy Street. The family nanny, Isa McNeil, and neighbours of the West recall Rena as a considerate mother struggling to bring up her two children. Hmm. Fred treated the children harshly. He kept the girls in the bottom of a bunk bed with bars fitted to the space between the bunks, caging them in. What? Yep. They were only allowed out when he was at work. Shivers. Yeah, pretty awful. That's abuse. That is abuse. McNeil introduced the Wests to 16-year-old Anne McFall, a friend of McNeil's who was despondent over the death of her boyfriend in a workplace accident. McFall spent a great deal of time at the West flat. Fred later admitted that he had had many affairs in his early marriage and had fathered one illegitimate child. Oh, okay. When Rena discovered her husband's infidelity, she began an affair with a man called John <laughs> McLaughlin. Don't leave him. Just start your own affair. <laughs> okay, well, now that worked out. Let's find out. On one occasion, Fred discovered the pair in an embrace. He punched Rena, <laughs> making her scream. So McLaughlin punched Fred who oh, drew a knife oh, oh. and grazed McLaughlin's abdomen. When punched by McLaughlin a second time, Fred stopped defending himself. This is because he's a complete coward. Oh. Years later, McLaughlin recollected the incident saying, he couldn't tackle a man, but he wasn't so slow attacking a woman. He and Rena carried on with their affair and McLaughlin grew more shocked by Rena's bruises and black eyes. So on each occasion it became apparent Fred had beaten his wife McLaughlin returned the favour and beat Fred. Another time McLaughlin wished a weird relationship. It does, hey. Another time McLaughlin witnessed Charmaine, who was a little older than a toddler, ask Fred for an ice cream from his van. In response, Fred struck her across the head, triggering another beating from McLaughlin. What? He's a lovely For an ice cream. Lovely chap. In nineteen sixty five Fred accidentally ran over and killed a small boy in Glasgow with his van. Was it accidental? Oh, I would hope so, but I'm afraid of the answer. I think possibly not. Fred was cleared by police but feared the locals' reactions. So in December he returned to Gloucester with Charmaine and Anne-Marie, renting a caravan at the Timberland Caravan Park. Rena joined him in February 1966, accompanied by Isa McNeil and Anne McFall, who also moved into Fred's caravan. McNeil and McFall both came from impoverished backgrounds. It didn't take long for Fred to find employment driving a lorry for the local abattoir. By 1966, Fred was showing dominance and control over all three women. He was also prone to violent mood swings, with Rena and McNeil copying most of his fury. Fred physically okay. attacked his stepdaughter more than once and is reported to have begun sexually abusing Charmaine. Oh, my God. Crazy. Yeah. As well as encouraging Rena to turn to sex work to supplement his meagre oh, income. Okay. What? Would have thought he might be able to get a better job. I was going to say, like, or maybe she could just get a, a job. An, a job and, yeah, not. Okay. 
Rena phoned McLaughlin in a bid to escape Fred's domestic abuse and sadistic sexual demands. Rena begged him to rescue her, McNeil and the children. Together, McLaughlin, Rena and McNeil devised a plan. The plan was that McLaughlin and McNeil's boyfriend, John Trotter, would secretly drive to Bishop's Cleave in McLaughlin's Mini and discreetly take Rena, her children and McNeil back to Scotland. However, McFall had by this stage become infatuated with Fred, who had promised to marry her. Oh, my God. It is likely she informed Fred of the plan. Oh. All did not go to plan, and McNeil and Rena left with the men, leaving the children behind with Fred and McFall, who stayed behind to be the new nanny. Oh. Yep. Police were called as the incident became physical, and McLaughlin, Trotter, McNeil and Rena left, and Fred to kill Rena should she ever return again. Oh, okay, casual. Yeah. To ensure her daughter's safety, Rena often travelled to England to visit Charmaine and Anna Marie while they lived with Fred at Bishop's Cleave. Despite initially staying friends with McFall, Rena soon began to resent her controlling presence around her daughters. And in an act of resentment, Rena took some items from Fred's caravan and returned to Glasgow. She was, however, arrested the following month and returned to Gloucester to face trial and was given three years' probation. Interesting. After the trial, McFall moved into the caravan at the Timberland Caravan Park. Rena alternated between living with Fred and returning to Glasgow. McFall sent letters to her family and McNeil in Glasgow between 1966 and 1967, indicating she believed marriage to Fred would be a better life. McFall often tried so. to get Fred to divorce Rena. In July 1967, McFall, aged only 18 and eight months pregnant with Fred's child, vanished. Oh, okay. She was never reported missing, but her dismembered remains were found buried close to a cornfield between Much Markle and Kempley in June 1994. What? Dismembered. Dismembered. Her okay. limbs had been. Carefully dismembered and many flange bones were missing from her body. Oh. These were likely to have been retained as trophies. Oh, okay, trophies. Yeah. Okay. Her unborn child is rumoured to have also been cut out of her womb. Oh, my God. Yeah. Oh, no. Pretty group. Fred initially denied that he had killed McFall but confided to one visitor following his arrest that he had stabbed her to death following an argument. Oh, okay. Because having someone over an argument seems acceptable. Yeah, right. Yep. This explanation doesn't match up with the fact that her wrists were found with sections of dressing gown cord wrapped around them, suggesting she'd been restrained prior to her murder. Mm. The next month, Rena returned to live with Fred, and the couple relocated to the caravan park. That sounds like a good idea after his other lady has gone missing. Their relationship initially improved, as they do, but Rena left the following year, again leaving the children in his care. Why? Take your kids with you. On these occasions when Fred had no woman to supervise or care for his girls, he temporarily placed them in the care of Gloucester Social Services. Oh, okay. I'm sorry. I need you to just take my kids for a bit. Because you need a woman to look after your kids. (laughs) Okay. So it would seem Fred needs a new nanny. This is where he meets Rosemary Letts. Rosemary grew up a moody teenager 
This is when her parents separated. She lived with her mother for six months, later moving in with her father at age of 16. Her father suffered from paranoid schizophrenia. Oh, that's not a good sign. No. He was prone to extreme violence and repeatedly sexually abused her Ooh. and her older sister, Patricia. Yeah, no. Rose reportedly fascinated by her developing body would deliberately parade naked around the house in the presence of her younger brother, Graham. Oh, okay, that kid's going to be messed up too. These kids are all going to be messed up, I sound like. Definitely counselling needed. Um, yeah. At the age of 13, she would also creep into nine-year-old Graham's bed at night and molest him. Oh, my God. And her younger brother, Gordon. Fred first came across Rosemary Letts in 1969. Okay, these two are not going to be a good couple. Don't think so. No, they need to stay away from each other. He met her at a bus station just after her 15th birthday. Oh, 15th. Okay. Okay. Initially, Rose was repulsed by Fred's unkempt appearance and thought he was a tramp. Yeah, same. And looking at photos, extremely unattractive. Okay. But quickly became flattered by his attention to narcissistic sociopathic peas in a pod. Hmm. Rose twice refused to go on a date with Fred but allowed him to accompany her home. What harm could come from that? I, I don't want to know. <laughs> in their initial conversations, Rose told Fred she'd never had a boyfriend but that she was overtly promiscuous. Because that makes sense. <laughs> Fred manipulated her by claiming he and his daughters had been abandoned by his wife and that he wished for more children. Oh. Okay. I don't think he needs more children. After finding that Rose worked in a nearby bread shop, Fred persuaded a local woman to enter the shop and give Rose a gift, saying that a man outside asked her to do it. Minutes later, Fred entered the premises asking Rose on a date for that evening. Oh, my God. And the silly girl accepted. Oh, my God. <laughs> if someone had done that to me, I'd be like, oh, what? Get out of my Get shop. Out of my- yeah. Get out. Leave me alone. She's throwing bread, packs of bread at him. Especially as how old is he at this point? He's in his mid-twenties. And she's like, see? Yeah. Interesting. It wasn't long and Rose was in a relationship with Fred, visiting him often and child-minded Charmaine and Anna Marie. She noted that they were neglected and she initially treated them with care and affection. Oh, that's good. Hmm, she sounds like. In the early days of their relationship, Rose insisted she and Fred take the girls out to gather wildflowers. I don't know if that's good or bad because your face was a little bit terrifying. Well, I think it sounds lovely. That sounds nice. Within weeks of their first meeting, Rose left her job at the bread shop in order to become the nanny to Charmaine and Anna Marie. What a career choice. Fred would give her enough money to pay her parents on Fridays to convince them that she was still working at the shop. (gasps) Okay. A few months later, Rose introduced Fred to her family. Oh, I bet they were thrilled. They were aghast at their daughter's choice of partner. They also would have been. Rose's mother, Daisy, was unimpressed with Fred's narcissistic, braggy personality and said he was a pathological liar. She probably wasn't wrong. I think she was right. Her father, Bill Letts, a diagnosed schizophrenic who is believed to have molested his daughter, strongly disapproved of the relationship, threatening Fred directly and promising to call social services if he continued to date his underage daughter. Okay, but okay. 
I know. It's a little bit... What's that word? No, but it's just weird because you're just equally as bad. Hypocritical is the word. Yeah. Little hypocritical. Anyway, Rose was forbidden from dating Fred, but she defied her parents' wishes. They had also heard rumours that Rose had begun to engage in sex work at his caravan. Oh, good. That's what you need. Diligent. She has two jobs. She's a sex worker and a nanny and a pretend bread shop worker. <laughs> Doing well. Due to this, social services placed Rose in a home for troubled teenagers in 1969 and she was allowed to leave under controlled conditions. However, Rose chose to break all these rules, always say, returning a chaperone to or Fred. Like, I don't think so. Did they just go, yes, I will trust this teenager to do the right thing? I think Fred was a chaperone. <laughs> uh, on her 16th birthday, Rose left the home for troubled teenagers and returned to her parents. Okay. Things have a chance of turning out okay. Yeah. <laughs> Fred was serving a 30-day sentence for theft and unpaid fines during this time. Upon Fred's release, Rose moved into Fred's Cheltenham flat. It was not long before Fred collected Charmaine and Anna Marie back from social services. Oh. Bill Letts made one last attempt to stop his daughter from seeing Fred and Rose was examined by a police surgeon in 1970 who confirmed she was now oh, pregnant. Oh, God. In response, Rose again placed into care but was discharged on the 6th of March on the understanding she would terminate her pregnancy and return to her family. Is it just going, yes, you do this, and then saying goodbye? Is that, is that what's happening here? I don't think they do checkups. I was going to say, it doesn't seem like they did follow through with anything. I don't. Instead, Rose opted to live with Fred and Rose's father disowned her. Three months later, they moved to the ground floor of a two-storey house in Midland Road, Gloucester. On the 17th of October, 1970, Rose gave birth to their first daughter, Heather Ann. Speculation remains that Heather may have been sired by Rose's own father. That's, that's, um, I, I don't have words for that. It's incest. That's the word you're looking for. Gross. Two months later, Fred was imprisoned for the theft of car tyres and other crimes. Car tyres. <laughs> he remained imprisoned until the 24th of June, 1971. While he served his six-and-a-half-month sentence, 17-year-old Rose looked after the three girls, with Charmaine and Anne-Marie being told to call Rose their mother. Oh, okay. Mm. According to Anna-Marie West, she and Charmaine were frequently subjected to criticism, beatings and other forms of punishment whilst in Rose's care. But although Anna-Marie was generally submissive and displayed emotion in response to the physical and mental hardships they endured, Charmaine repeatedly angered Rose Oh God! because she would not cry or display any sign of sadness or servitude, regardless of how severely she was physically punished. Oh, wow. So she was a rock. Yes, I. Oh. Yeah. So sad. It is sad. Despite the years of neglect and abuse, Charmaine's spirit had not been broken, and she talked wistfully to Anna Marie of the belief that she held that her mummy will come and save me. Oh, my God. Anna, Anna Marie later recalled. Her sister repeatedly antagonised Rose by making statements such as, 
My real mummy wouldn't swear or shout at us in response to Rose's scathing language. Poor babies. A childhood friend of Charmaine's named Tracy Giles, who had lived in the upper flat of the Midland Road flat, would later recollect an incident in which she had entered the West's flat unannounced only to see Charmaine. She was naked, standing upon a chair, gagged with her hands bound behind her back with a belt, whilst Rose stood alongside the child with a large wooden spoon in her hand. What? According to Giles, Charmaine had been calm and unconcerned, while Anna Marie had been standing by the door with a blank expression on her face. Okay. Imagine walking into that. No. But imagine not going home and telling your own mother what you'd seen. I shouldn't say anything. I don't think so. I'd I'd run for it and be like, everyone, I need the police, I need someone, because that's insane. Hospital records reveal Charmaine had received treatment for a severe puncture wound to her left ankle in March 1971. Rose claimed this was from a household accident. Of course, nobody checked into it or checked up on the children. Of course, no. No need to do that. It's believed that Rose killed Charmaine shortly before Fred's prison release date of the 24th of June, 1971. What? She killed her. She killed her own daughter. Well, it's not her daughter, but Fred's daughter. What? She's known to have taken Charmaine, Anna Marie and Heather to visit Fred on the 15th of June. It is believed to be only very shortly after this date that Charmaine was murdered. What? There is also forensic odontology confirmation that Charmaine had died while Fred was incarcerated. Further testimony from Giles' mother, Shirley, corroborated the fact that Charmaine had been murdered before Fred had been released on the 24th of June. That's so sad. Why, why did she kill her? Um, probably because she wouldn't cry. And... Yeah. Okay. In her later testimony at Rose's trial, Shirley Giles stated she and her family had lived in the upper flat of 25 Midland Road in 1971 and that her two daughters had been playmates of Charmaine and Anna Marie. Shirley Giles said that after her family had vacated the upper flat of Midland Road in April of 1971, on one day in June, she brought Tracy to visit Charmaine, only for Tracy to be told by Rose she's gone to live with her mother and bloody good riddance before Tracy began to weep. Giles was certain that Fred was still in prison on this occasion. As with the Giles family, Rose explained Charmaine's disappearance to others who asked where she was by claiming that Rena had taken her eldest daughter to live with her in Bristol. She told staff at Charmaine's primary school that the child had moved with her mother to London. Oh, okay, of course. When Fred was released from prison on the 24th of June, he quelled Anna Marie's concerns for her sister's whereabouts by claiming her mother had collected Charmaine and returned to Scotland. Mm, okay. In her autobiography, Out of the Shadows, Anna Marie recalled that when she asked why her mother had collected Charmaine but not her, Fred callously replied, she wouldn't want you, love, you're the wrong colour. <gasps> Charmaine's body was initially stored in the coal cellar of Midland Road until Fred was released from prison. He later buried her naked body in the yard close to the back door of the flat. Oh, my God. What? How do you bury your own daughter? Wait till you hear the rest. Wait till you hear the rest of it. 
and he remained adamant that he had not dismembered her. A later autopsy suggested the body had been severed at the hip. This may have been caused by building work Fred conducted at the property in 1976. Several bones, particularly patella, finger, wrist, toe and ankle bones, were missing from her skeleton, leading to speculation that the missing parts had been taken as trophies. Oh, my God, trophies again. Stop. This is a recurring theme throughout the entire story. Needs to stop. This proved to be a distinctive discovery as all the autopsies of the victims exhumed in 1994. Rena occasionally made contact with her children each time she and Fred separated. Nice of her to make an effort. (laughs) Yeah. She's also known to have visited Moorcroft Cottage to inquire as to her children's whereabouts and welfare in the latter half of 1971. Fred's sister-in-law, Christine, later said, Rena was depressed and extremely anxious about her children's welfare. Being provided with Fred's Midland Road address, Rena sought to confront him, likely to discuss or demand custody of her daughters. This was the last time Rena was seen alive. I was going to say, did she have any clue about her daughter? I don't think she has any idea at this stage, but I'm pretty sure she's about to find out. And is believed to have been murdered by strangulation, possibly in the back seat of Fred's Ford Popular, and likely while intoxicated. Oh God! When her body was discovered, a short length of metal tubing was found with her remains, leaving an equal possibility she had been restrained and subjected to sexual assault prior to her murder. Oh my God! No. Rena's body was extensively dismembered. Oh. Placed into plastic bags. Okay. And buried close to a cluster of trees known as Yew Tree Coppice at Letterbox Field, about one mile or 1.6 kilometres from Muchmark. In 1972, Fred and Rosemary married at the registry office. Oh, goody. <laughs> Just what we need. No family or friends were invited apart from Fred's brother, John. Again. Just who John. Act- <laughs> John's popular. Acted as best man. Okay. Well, I guess they could get married. Now. Why didn't they, um, did John question why the rest of his family wasn't there? Or her family? Or where the other wife had gone. Or, yes, where the other wife had gone. Hmm. Hmm. Yeah. Several months later, with Rose pregnant with her second child, oh, goody. the couple moved from Midland Road to an address nearby, 25 Cromwell Street. Keep this address in mind. Initially, the three-storey home was rented from the council. Fred later bought the property for £7,000. I don't know what that price is. About 14000 Australian dollars, which back then was supposed to be a lot more now. Yeah. Fred rented out many of the upper floor rooms that were initially converted into bedsits to supplement the household income. That's a bedsit. Just a single bedroom. Oh, okay. Where you, and then they share a kitchen and a bathroom and all that stuff. Fred installed a cooker and a wash basin on the first floor landing in order that their lodgers need not enter the ground floor where his family lived. And only he and his family were permitted access to the garden of the property. Oh, I wonder why. I wonder. Is that because there was a body there? Very possibly. On the 1st of June, Rose gave birth to his second daughter. Shortly after giving birth to her second child, Rose began to work as a sex worker. Oh, 
from an upstairs room in their house and advertising her services in a local contact magazine. Sounds good. Rose also engaged in casual sex with both males and female lodgers within the household and individuals Fred would bring home from work. Not just random individuals from work. She also bragged to several people that no man or woman could completely satisfy her. Oh. <laughs> okay. Rose was a vicious and brutal sexual partner, Sounds thinking it. only of her own needs. Sounds like Fred. The room Rose used for sex work was known as Rose's room <laughs> and had seven <laughs> hidden peepholes. Oh. And allowing Fred, a longtime sicko, to watch her entertain her clients. Oh. Oh, my God. What? Oh, Oh my God. He also installed a baby monitor into the room so he could listen from elsewhere in the house. That is disturbing. (laughs) The room had a private bath and a red light outside the door warned when Rose was not to be disturbed. Lovely. (laughs) I mean, he can look through the peepholes anyway. He could. Rose carried the key to this room around her neck and Fred installed a separate doorbell, which Rose's clients were instructed to ring when they visited the house. Much of the money earned from Rose's extra job was spent on home improvements. Got to improve your home, Mum. Yep. Got to improve. Way to go. DIY. By 1977, Rose's father had come to tolerate his daughter's marriage. Oh, tolerate it, hey? And to develop a grudging respect for Fred. Yeah, no. No. I mean, I don't like him either, but You'll no. like him even less in a moment. Oh, good. Together, he and Fred opened a cafe they named The Green Lantern. No, I was love soon the movie The Green Lantern. <laughs> broke. They were poverty broke. broke. Oh, okay. Broke. Yeah. Same. <laughs> <laughs> when Bill Letts discovered Rose's sex work, he would also visit to have sex with his daughter. Oh. Oh. <laughs> no. That is majorly okay. What? Um, and he had a problem with Fred. I'm sorry, Mister. You look in the mirror. No, I think he does need to look in the mirror. Oh my god! By 1983, she had given birth to eight children. What? At least three of whom were conceived by clients. Oh, that's a lot of children and a lot of different fathers. It certainly. Fred happily accepted these children as his own. Did he? And falsely informed them that the reason their skin was darker than their siblings was because his great-grandmother was a black woman. Okay, or the fact that you're lying about their dads and that you're not, but okay. The West children were seldom allowed outside the house unless Fred or Rose were present. That's so sad. It is sad. And they had to follow strict rules imposed by their parents. They were punished physically for not sticking to those rules. The children feared the beatings, the vast majority inflicted by Rose, occasionally by Fred. Rose always took great care not to mark the children's faces or hands in these assaults. Okay. Wow. That is really hard when they're trying to defend themselves and they put their little hands up. (laughs) All those poor babies. Like, I don't want people to see that I'm beating you, so I'm just going to try to avoid all the parts that people see. Just beat you everywhere else. Oh, my God. Heather and her younger brother, Stephen, ran away from home. Both returned to Cromwell Street after several weeks of rough sleeping or staying with friends, and both were beaten when they returned home. Sad. So they had no escape. 
It didn't matter what they did. I was going to say, if you leave, you're only little. Like, what are you going to do? Yeah. Yeah. Parents are horrible, so. Between 1972 and 1992, so a 20-year period, the West children were admitted to the Accident and Emergency Department of local hospitals 31 times. Ooh. The injuries were explained as accidents and never reported to social service. What never, ever reported at all? Not once. Okay, someone wasn't doing their job correctly. I'd say a lot of someone's. Rose hit Stephen over the head with a bowl, then repeatedly kicked him in the head and chest as she shouted, you did that on purpose, you little swine, after she tripped on a bowl of water he was cleaning with. Oh, I'm sorry, I was cleaning and you slipped. (laughs) (laughs) Oh, dear, I don't know how she got her children to clean because I have never managed. Um, what? (laughs) Uh, another time, Rose grabbed a knife she'd been using to cut a slab of meat. Oh, my God, where is this going? And repeatedly cut, oh, this isn't funny, and repeatedly cut light scour marks to May's chest until oh her ribcage was covered with light knife wounds. All the while, what? May screamed, no, Mum, no, Mum, oh with Stephen and Heather standing by helplessly sobbing. Oh, my God. Rose even abused Fred, chasing him with a knife in her hand. What? He's a little bit funny. I was going to say, what, like, <laughs> I thought he was going to be, like, the baddest one in the story. I don't know. Maybe it's her. Fred was able to slam the door shut, resulting in the knife being embedded in the door, with three of Rose's fingers sliding down the blade, oh. almost severing them from her hand. Oh, I've just got a visual image. <laughs> <laughs> oh, except in my image, I think. Yeah. Dangling. Rose calmly Ooh. wrapped her hand in a towel and said, oh. Look what you done, fella. You gotta take me to the hospital now. <laughs> in September nineteen seventy two, the West led eight year old Anna Marie to the cellar at twenty five Cromwell Street okay. where the child was like the cellar. ordered to undress. Ooh. Anna Marie hesitated so Rose tore the dress oh. from her body. She was then stripped naked, bound to a mattress, and gagged what? before Fred raped her with oh. Rose's active encouragement. Yuck. After the rape, Rose explained to Anne-Marie, everybody does it to every girl. It's what? a father's job. <gasps> don't worry and don't say anything to anybody. Oh, oh yeah, because it, it happens to everyone, but don't say anything. Yeah, doesn't mm-hmm. make much sense. doesn't make any sense. And no, that's... Definitely should not ever happen to anyone. No, definitely not. Making clear these sexual assaults would continue. Oh, my God. Fred and Rose then threatened Anna Marie with severe beatings if she ever told. Oh, God. There's just no escape. I was going to say, she can't even go see her mum because her mum's been killed. And Oh, no, no. Rose sometimes sexually abused Anne Marie herself and later took extreme joy in degrading her with acts such as binding Anna Marie to various items of furniture before encouraging Fred to rape her. Rose also forced Anna Marie to perform household chores whilst wearing sexual devices and a miniskirt. Oh, my God. From the age of 13, Fred and Rose forced Anna Marie to prostitute herself within their household. 13? 13 13-year-old. What? Oh, no. You're, You're practically a baby. When you're that age, so no, no. With her clients being informed, Anna Marie was 16, so Rose was lying. So they lied to everyone. Yeah. But 16 isn't even 
Oh, no. no. Rose was always present in the room when these acts occurred oh, to ensure Anna Marie did not reveal her true age. Oh, my God. On one occasion when Anna Marie was aged 13 or 14, Rose took her to a local pub, insisting she drink several glasses of barley wine. Ew. Several hours later, Fred arrived at the pub to collect Rose and Anna Marie. Once they had left, Anna Marie was bundled into her father's van and beaten by Rose, oh who God. asked her, do you think you could be my friend? Before what? she sexually abused her. In October 1972, the Wests hired 17-year-old Carolyn Owens as their children's nanny. Don't take that job. You don't want it. No, don't take the job. They found her hitchhiking home one night after visiting her boyfriend. Never hitchhike, love. Never hitchhike. And never get into strangers' cars. No, no. Don't trust people. Oh, love. Rose, who had begun to engage in sex work by this time, explained to Owens that she worked as a masseuse when the younger woman inquired about the steady stream of men. Oh. <laughs> I, I simply massage them. Okay. Good cover. <laughs> According to Owens, Fred also said he was a skilled abortionist. Oh. Who was available should she ever need such a service. Um, no. No, I do not. <laughs> <laughs> that is your answer. Owens also noted Fred talked about sex constantly. Okay. Fred also told her that many of the women he claimed to have performed abortions on were so happy that they would offer him sexual services as a reward. <laughs> okay. <laughs> I think you're a bit into yourself there, Fred. When Owens became the recipient of the West sexual advances, she told that she wanted to return home. Knowing Owen's habits of hitchhiking along the A40, the Wests formulated a plan to abduct oh. her for their shared gratification. Oh. Fred later admitted that the intent of this abduction was the rape and murder of Owens, but he wanted to see if Rose would take part in the abduction. Oh. On the 6th of Sem December 1972, they apologised to Owens and offered her a lift home. Don't take it. You'd be, I don't know why, but you'd be better off hitchhiking. Yeah. Oh. Owens believed the Wests and got in the vehicle. Oh, no. Rose joined her in the back seat, saying she wanted a girl's chat as Fred drove. Shortly after this, Rose began to fondle her. Oh, my God. Owens protested and Fred stopped the car. He called Owens a bitch and punched her into unconsciousness. Oh, my God. Before they bound and gagged her with a scarf and oh. duct tape. This is a good part. Owens told police later, oh, so she's good, alive, good. at Cromwell Street she was given a drugged cup of tea, then again gagged and subjected to an extensive sexual assault from Fred Ooh, and Rose. That's not good. At one stage, Fred remarked that Owens' clitoris was unusual and oh then lashed God. her genitals with a leather belt. <gasps> oh, no. Oh, no. no. Sounds painful. Yeah. When Owen screamed, Rose again smothered her with a pillow oh and further restrained her about the neck, performing cunnilingus on her. Quickly realising the gravity of the situation, Owen ceased resisting their sexual assaults. Oh. The following morning, Fred threatened Owens that if she continued to scream, that they would keep her locked up in the cellar and allow his friends to abuse her. Oh, my God. And that when they had finished, he would bury her body beneath the paving stones of Gloucester. Oh. Oh, okay. Yeah, pretty scary. Yeah. Fred then claimed he had killed hundreds of young girls, telling Owens that she was there for Rose's pleasure. Oh. 
Fred and Rose asked Owens to return to be their nanny once more. Seeing her escape route, Owens smartly agreed, vacuuming the house to indicate her happiness to rejoin the family. Oh, fuck hell. Get out of there. Later that day, Owens escaped from a laundrette she and Rose had attended and she returned home. Oh, good. Good. Although initially too ashamed to tell her mother what had happened, when her mother saw the welts, bruises and exposed subcutaneous tissue on her daughter's body, Owens burst into tears and told her everything. Owens' mother reported this to the police and the West were arrested and charged with assault, indecent assault, actual bodily harm and rape. Mm. The case was tried in January 1973, but by this time, Owens had decided she couldn't face testifying. No, I mean, I get it, but no. Now this is a doozy. All charges relating to her sexual abuse were dropped. That's and insane. the Wests pled guilty to reduce charges of indecent assault and causing actual bodily harm. Did they get off? I don't like to get anything at all. Each was fined fifty pounds. Oh, okay. And the couple were allowed to walk free from court. So no punishment. Just give us fifty pounds. You can go and do it again to anyone else you want to do it to. When I was heard this news, she attempted suicide. Oh no, that's so sad. The decision by the court was a grim mistake. As three months after the West assault trial, the couple committed their first known murder. The victim was 19-year-old Linda Goff, with whom Fred and Rose became acquainted through a male lodger. Goff often visited Cromwell Street and engaged in affairs with two male lodgers. Shortly after she moved into their home on Cromwell Street, other tenants were told that she'd been told to leave the household after she'd hit one of the children. Mm. This story was repeated to Goff's mother when she contacted the West to inquire about her whereabouts. Rose had been wearing Linda's clothing when she repeated this claim to her mother. Oh, my God. I just got chills. It's disgusting. That's, oh, no, no. When Goff's dismembered body was found, the jaw was completely wrapped in adhesive and surgical tape to silence her screams. Oh, my God. And two small tubes had likely been inserted into her nasal cavities to allow breathing. Oh, my God. Long sections of string and fabric were also discovered with her remains. So she'd been, like, tied up. Goff had likely been suspended <gasps> from holes carved into wooden beams supporting the ceiling of the cellar. Oh, my God. So hung from the ceiling. Yep. Oh, my God. Fred later admitted he had devised these for the purpose of suspending his victim's bodies and she likely died of either strangulation or suffocation. Can they get any worse? Um, I think so. Goff's dismembered body, missing five cervical vertebrae, the patella and numerous flange bones. He really likes the patella and the flange bones. He's got a thing for him. Also. I wonder where he stashes them all. Oh, my God. Please tell me it's not like BTK and has little hidey holes. He must have, because I don't think they were ever found. That's disturbing. Anyway, Goff was buried in an inspection pit under the garage. Oh, okay. And I think that's where we're going to leave it for today. This episode is already quite long, and we're only halfway through. So we'll come back to you next week with the other half of the episode. Sounds good. Yep. Yep. Okay. 
Thank you for listening. We hope you enjoyed the podcast. You can follow us at Facebook at Solved, Unsolved or Spooky, on Twitter at hashtag or solved, Instagram at Solved, Unsolved or Spooky. You can email us at podcast at solved, unsolved or spooky dot com. Please subscribe and leave a review on iTunes. Mm-hmm.